truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, March 15th, 2022, the 419th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. So yesterday, the final portion of the show talked about an idea I've been working over in the last few weeks and thinking about the idea of what state media actually is and what it means when a corporate media outlet is accusing other media of being state media. And that was in relation to the stories about how Saudi Arabia executed 81 men on Saturday, accused them of various crimes, such things as operating with terrorists. And they even went so far as to claim these people were essentially serving Satan. Western media derided Saudi Arabia's reasons for those executions without describing any of the individual executions and why Saudi Arabia might be wrong in executing people. It's one thing to have an implicit bias against the death penalty, but we should all realize that that is a matter of opinion and belief and morality and that's a conversation all of us should engage, whether or not the death penalty is ever warranted. And I think it is. I think there are crimes heinous enough that death should be the punishment. And I also think that public executions are warranted so that people will know if you do this thing, this is the penalty. And rape and murder are cases where we might consider that or we might think that there are extenuating circumstances and this person doesn't deserve to face the death penalty or this one. And we obviously know that in the justice system, there are rampant problems that end up with people being killed through the death penalty who were not, in fact, guilty. And those are all relevant factors in the conversation about the death penalty. But when it comes to crimes against humanity and crimes against the nation, for instance, Crimes like treason or crimes like forcing people to get an experimental gene therapy that kills an extraordinary number of people and maims an even higher number of people for the rest of their lives or makes it so they can no longer have children. That's a crime against humanity. Creating biological weapons 
against international agreements and norms and then releasing those biological weapons or failing to protect them to the point where they are released, causing all of these enormous problems throughout the world that we've seen in the last two years, for instance. Well, that's a crime against humanity. Intentionally destroying people's lives and pushing hundreds of millions of people into extreme poverty through lockdowns in order to usher in the Great Reset Agenda. That's a crime against humanity. All of those things can and should be punished with death because they're not, for instance, a crime of passion. They're not something that could be rehabilitated in prison or punished in prison. And prison isn't enough of a penalty for when the most powerful people in the world intentionally violate humanity for their own ends, which are wealth and power and perhaps living forever. So if you're going to report on the 81 executions in Saudi Arabia and you are going to have the tone and the bias of your article be toward saying that Saudi Arabia is illustrating its own brutality through public executions, you should be able to describe why those public executions are not warranted, or you should leave the opinion out of the piece altogether. But instead of that, they assume that people will just believe that public executions are bad, that there's from some bygone era, they are something that the savages do, you know, the Saudi Arabian savages. How's that, wokes? That's you guys saying that. And it also biases against what they call state media, but they don't even describe what state media they're referring to. Are there particular outlets that we are not allowed to believe? I mean, Al Jazeera described the incident the same way that the globalists described it. And Al Jazeera, of course, is a corporate globalist media outlet. So which are the state media outlets? It seems like what's going on is that media on the one side, media in the West, the mouthpiece of global communism, the mouthpiece of the evil twin as it exists in all nations of the world, is painting every media outlet and even the narrative itself as automatically biased in a pro-Saudi Arabia way, a pro-regime way, a pro-MBS way, for instance. The idea of state media is that the governing entity has those media outlets fully under its control and they relay propaganda to the world on behalf of the regime. But the regimes change and the people in the regimes change but the global corporate media's message does not change almost ever, depending on who's in the regime. So we had the Barack Obama regime in place in the United States, and all of the corporate media loved him. Now, sure, there's media on the center right, just slightly right of center, but they are still pushing the truth of the central narrative while catering to the individual tastes of people who might like their politics a little to the right rather than a little to the left. 
And they would say how Barack Obama's bad, but only to the extent that it helps them push their own agenda, never to the extent where they're actually trying to break away from the central narrative. The goal is to keep everybody riding right along with the central narrative. The central narrative, of course, as we can see in the last couple of years, COVID is very dangerous and very deadly. Lockdowns are a very effective way of preventing the spread of an aerosolized viral pathogen. So are masks, even though masks don't work at all. Those are all parts of the central narrative. It doesn't matter if you were watching MSNBC or Fox News, you were getting the same general message and they were catering to one side or the other. Same thing with election fraud. Fox News and MSNBC, they could argue a little bit about who you should support in the general election, but they both supported the theft of that election and the cover up of that theft and the smearing of anyone who brought up the fact that there is actually obvious and overwhelming evidence of the 2020 election being stolen on every level from Trump to the people in your local community. The central narrative is not aligned in every single detail every time it is pushed out. There are varieties of what they are saying, but they keep you locked into the big things like masks work, like lockdowns work. Like the election was very safe and secure. The vaccines are very safe and effective. You're racist if you have a problem with open borders. But you're also a traitor to the United States unless you stand up and say that you are on the side of Nazis in Ukraine. Because, of course, the state media has told you that Vladimir Putin is the worst thing that has ever happened to the earth. And you just have to accept that or else you're a traitor. But as we went through yesterday, we have two sides. We have the side of the corporate media. We know who their investors are. We know the conglomerates, the media conglomerates that run these media outlets. And we know that all of them are in partnerships with the World Economic Forum. And we know that all of them push the central narrative, which is the global agenda. On the other hand, we have individual citizens citizen journalists. We have the governments of multiple nations around the world. All of these entities, they do not have the same priorities. And sometimes their priorities are in opposition, but yet they still look at the facts and base their evidence on facts and arrive all at the same conclusion without coordination. That is a decentralized information system. A lot of distinct groups with differing priorities somehow settling on all of the same truths. That is not a mystery how that happens. People are looking at reality. They are looking at evidence and they are coming to conclusions. And sometimes those conclusions will be different because they are distinct groups that do not communicate and have differing and sometimes opposing priorities. So in that context, it's not hard to determine what the state media really is. The state media is the mouthpiece of the evil twin. They are the mouthpiece of the global order, the global communist order. And it's always worth mentioning that communism was one of the things that the state media distorted in our minds and throughout our education. It's not a bunch of people arriving home from the factory covered in soot, going to little meetings in someone's basement and discussing how they're all going to own the company together someday, and then everything will be fair for everyone. 
It's just feudalism with different marketing. The richest, most powerful people in the world run everything. The serfs that are outside that circle, they get nothing. Inside the circle, you must serve the state or you will be ejected from the circle and you will become a serf. The way to rise within the state is to comply the best, to support the state the most. If you fail to do that, you will have things taken away from you. Depending on how corrupt you are or how compromised you are, they might eventually destroy your life altogether. And the mouthpiece of the evil twin exists to sell the state's narrative to the serfs so that the serfs do not revolt. Communism is not a system of worker control. It is a system of theft from the top down where everyone who is not a supporter of the party lives a segregated and second rate life or worse. Communism as the rest of these systems are the opposite of what the evil twin and its media would have you believe. And that is for a reason. With a population this size, they cannot make the people comply with feudalism. They can make the people comply with communism if it's marketed really well. Remember, it's 2030, you'll own nothing and like it. That, my friends, is marketing communism. It's not only the state owning the means of production, it's the state owning your stuff. And when the state owns your stuff, the state also gets to decide the range of stuff you are allowed to consume. What will it look like in 10 years, let's say, if it turns out that everybody owns nothing and the state tells us we all like it? Well, they'll give us free access to every song and movie ever in existence, right? Or, you know, it'll take a little bit of your credits each month, but everybody has it or else you can't listen to songs. You can't watch movies or television. There's just no entertainment unless you are playing an Udu drum in your house. Well, if we get to that point, imagine what stage we will be in with the censorship regime. You are not going to be allowed to listen to certain kinds of music or podcasts or read certain things or watch certain things without receiving demerits, for instance, and the state will have full control over which things you are allowed to consume. And no one would deny that our society has been headed in this direction for a long time. It's the corporatization of art. We make these massive, terrible comic book movies that China will pay for. We make all sorts of entertainment that China will pay for. The Chinese money is why everything has been wokeified in entertainment. And the same thing is true of music. The artists, the most popular artists, get all the money. Spotify pays the artists. All the streaming platforms pay the artists. But they're not paying them on their actual merit and performance. They're paying them based on algorithms and payola. It is controlled from the top. Do people realize it? Of course not. People think that they're making their own decisions. But they're not. And the range of the decisions they are able to make continues to shrink as things become more centralized. It doesn't matter if you have infinite options in theory, if the only options you have been conditioned to select 
continues to grow smaller. And so it's important to consider when you're consuming media or any of this stuff, what is it that the evil twin wants me to believe, right? The media does not tell you the truth at all. The one true thing the media will communicate to you and that the culture at large will communicate to you in the same way is what they want you to believe and what they want you to do. And they do this with commercials during the Super Bowl, too. This is their method. And we have this illusion that somehow the Western media emphasizes and prioritizes objectivity in some sense. That is a story they tell us. They tell us that, for instance, if our independent journalism arrives at the conclusion where we all support Trump or some version of America first priorities, we all come to the conclusion that it is actually moral to promote national sovereignty and individual liberty and self-governance rather than becoming and making yourself a subject to the whole. Then we are all somehow biased toward Donald Trump per se rather than being biased toward the truth and our underlying priorities that Trump just happens to be a vessel for right now. And while there will be an idea of Trumpism that extends into the future, what's happening now is not about Trump. It's about the truth. So if Trump is in office and we are all communicating information in a way that benefits Trump, that doesn't somehow immediately make us state media. It's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of what masters we are serving. The truth is objective, but it's not something that we can always find. Sometimes because it's too hard to draw certain truths out of the world. And sometimes because we have our own personal biases and opinions that steer us away from truth in certain ways. And sometimes we're just wrong about things. All of those things are possible. While you're still doing everything you can to tell the truth, truth is about personal honesty. Like I come on here and try to tell the truth is ex exactly how I see it. I'm not always going to be right because I don't have access to all the truth. But one thing we can generally be able to discern is whether or not the person communicating to us is trying to tell the truth. And if they are part of a large media conglomerate, the chances that that person is trying to tell us the truth go down, which means that we have to be far more skeptical about the things they are saying and why, which is not to say that there aren't good truth telling journalists among the employees of media conglomerates, but being limited by the media conglomerate makes a difference in one's ability to tell the truth. I've talked about this endlessly with Joe Rogan, with Tucker Carlson. You can see it in different columnists who do a great job, but nonetheless work at corporate media outlets. They can tell as much of the truth as they're allowed, but eventually they bump up against a barrier and they can't go past it, which is why the mainstream media has ignored and denied election fraud for a year and a half now. But the illusion of their objectivity is an absolute lie, and it's one that we should have never paid any attention to in the first place. We have this idea of pure journalism where everything is objective. If that ever existed, it certainly doesn't now.
And what you have left when you strip all of that away is people like us trying to discern and communicate the truth as best we are able because we are trying to serve our principles. And on the other hand, you have massive media conglomerates who have formal agreements in place to serve the global agenda. Their portrayal of themselves as objective doesn't mean they are actually objective. So for people who are constantly serving a global corporate agenda to launch campaigns smearing the motivations of people countering that agenda, it's pretty transparent what's going on. And we have outlets around the world that are actually funded by the state. We have NPR in America. We have the CBC in Canada. We have the BBC in Britain. And they are all aligned with the central narrative. They are all aligned with the World Economic Forum. And so we are being given the same story in many, many forms from many, many places. And that includes the corporations and it includes the politicians that serve the same global order. Now, one of them that we all know about is Fidel Castro's bastard son, Justin Trudeau, who is the prime minister of Canada right now. Klaus Schwab has bragged about infiltrating the Canadian government and having World Economic Forum aligned politicians throughout the governments of the world. And he's mentioned Canada specifically. So when we are being given the show about Russia and Ukraine from the Canadian perspective, politically speaking, not the people of Canada, obviously, and from Canada's state media perspective, which aligns as well with the World Economic Forum, we get things like this. The Ukrainian comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky is doing a world tour of appearances. He is speaking before parliaments and governments of the world. Today, he spoke before the Canadian parliament and tomorrow he's going to speak before the U.S. Congress. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer sent an invite around to all the members of the House of Representatives and the Senate. They are all invited to attend an address by a foreign leader that they will show through video conference in the halls of our government. And you're allowed to not wear a mask if you've been fully vaccinated, but for everybody else, they should wear masks. But our government is facilitating the TV show where the comedic actor comes and tells them all about how if they don't act immediately, Ukraine is going to be destroyed by Vladimir Putin. And Vladimir Putin's not trying to destroy Ukraine. He's trying to destroy the elements of the global order in Ukraine. And that is becoming far more obvious every day. But let's listen to Fidel Castro's communist son respond to the comedic actor. Your courage and the courage of your people inspires us all. You're defending the right of Ukrainians to choose their own future. And in doing so, you're defending the values that form the pillars of all free democratic countries. Freedom, human rights, 
justice, truth, international order. These are the values you're risking your life for as you fight for Ukraine and Ukrainians. Beyond that, you're inspiring democracies and democratic leaders around the world to be more courageous, more united, and to fight harder for what we believe in. You remind us that friends are always stronger together. Now that is a truly embarrassing display. And what a poorly written response. That sounds like it was pulled from a TV show. All emotion, trying to make everybody see you as this strong, bold, decisive leader working with only the best intentions. But notice how in there he described what Zelensky was doing as defending the international order. Now, the international order actually is a thing, and you could illustrate that thing, and I think we do on here an awful lot, but we have also been biased in favor of this international order for decades by the people trying to implement the international order who just so happen to control all of the outlets where we have received our education and opinions for decades. And I think it's time to let go of the illusion that an international order does anything positive for the world. The international order is not what has maintained peace. In fact, the pursuit of that international order and the strengthening of that international order is the very thing that is causing the wars and causing the people of the world to become subjects. And while countries will always form alliances and always need trading partners, though need is a strange word, the United States doesn't necessarily need trading partners. We could be isolated and self-sufficient, but other countries would need us as trading partners. And through that, we should be able to set fair but beneficial terms of those partnerships. That doesn't require a higher governing authority to structure all of that from the top down, though that's been exactly what we have been sold and convinced of for our entire lives. And it's important to keep all of this in mind when we're trying to analyze what's happening with Russia and Ukraine right now. And there was an interesting development in all of that today. It's funny because different media outlets are handling it this in different ways. The Daily Beast wrote their own headline in order to write a four-sentence summary and then link to a CNN article, which by itself is already a very, very weird thing for a website to do. But, you know, clicks and whatnot. You write the most exciting headline, and then someone will click on your link, which will just take you to another associated link. But the Daily Beast headline was, Russia bites back with comical list of sanctions on Biden, Blinken, and Hillary, like and dot, 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 
Hillary. What could they possibly be doing? What a comical list. This is nothing. This is absurd. No one should even bother looking at this. Just don't take it seriously at all. Like, why do they even name Hillary Clinton? And so you can go over to the CNN article they've linked. And the CNN article is a relatively innocuous telling of what actually happened. There's not much analysis in here quite yet. And we're all going to have to do a bunch of research to figure out exactly what each of these sanctions is about in its connection to Ukraine. Some of them are pretty obvious. And we'll get to some more of that. But for a little more corporate media context, let's go to the Daily Mail. Their headline is Kremlin sanctions President Biden, his son Hunter, Hillary Clinton and General Mark Milley after U.S. hits 11 of Russia's defense inner circle and Belarus dictator Lukashenko. So Lukashenko is a dictator, which means he's a bad guy. Got it? Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on Tuesday slapped sanctions on President Joe Biden, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and a string of senior U.S. officials as President Vladimir Putin hit back at the growing economic blockade on his regime. Just as the Russian announcement was released, Washington was unveiling fresh sanctions on President Alexander Lukashenko, Moscow's ally in Belarus, and 11 Russian defense officials. The Russian move effectively bars Biden and 12 other U.S. figures, including Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, CIA Director Bill Burns, from entering Russia. Dalip Singh, an economist on the National Security Council, who is seen as the architect of sanctions on Russia, also makes the list. And in a sign of the way Moscow knows how to weaponize the U.S. media and embarrass Biden, it includes high-profile figures such as White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, as well as the president's troubled son, Hunter. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was also named on the list. She saw the funny side. I want to thank the Russian Academy for this Lifetime Achievement Award, she said in a tweet. In a statement, the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs said it was acting in response to a series of unprecedented sanctions and was imposing its own measures on the basis of reciprocity. The ministry said its sanctions were an inevitable consequence of the extremely russophobic course taken by the current U.S. administration, which, in a desperate attempt to maintain American hegemony, has relied, discarding all decency, on the frontal constricting of Russia. It comes amid a growing wave on anti-U.S. propaganda from the Kremlin and other public figures after weeks of mounting economic pressure on Russia. A member of Russia's parliament called for reparations from the United States on Sunday, including the return of historic settlements in Alaska and California over the West's vast economic sanctions. And then the article goes on with some intense slogan repeating. They start out with Russian forces have apparently stalled in Ukraine and have made little progress in taking the capital, Kiev. Except anyone with the ability to reason knows that's not true. The Russian forces have not stalled. They're not being prevented from taking Kiev. And the comedic actor has now said that Ukraine will not be joining NATO. We already know they're not getting into the EU, whether or not that negotiation has collapsed completely yet. That's irrelevant. 
And it also doesn't matter at all whether or not Hillary Clinton is sending out funny tweets about what's happening. The media is merely trying to project this as a pointless retaliation from Russia. Well, we made the sanctions that destroyed your economy. So now you're going to sanction all the people in the U.S. you don't like. That's how it's being presented. That's preposterous. We know about foreign dealings of these people, some of these people. We'll get to all of them. But we know about the foreign dealings of some of these people in Ukraine. We know that Ukraine had a role in aiding the Russia collusion hoax narrative and trying to subvert the 2016 election. We know about Joe and Hunter Biden's business there for certain. So the idea that somehow these sanctions are limited to assets in Russia, bank accounts in Russia, that's a little silly. And we know it's not going to play out that way. This is clearly much deeper than what the media is telling us at this point. And so Donald Trump came out with a statement about this today. He said, breaking news, Russia just sanctioned Joe Biden. While that is a terrible thing in so many ways, perhaps it will now be explained why the Biden family received $3.5 million from the very wealthy former mayor of Moscow's wife. During our presidential debate, moderator Chris Wallace, then of Fox, would not let me ask that question. He said it was inappropriate. Perhaps that's why Biden has been so slow on the draw with Russia. This is a really bad conflict of interest that will, perhaps now, be fully and finally revealed. So Hillary Clinton thinks she can dismiss all of this with a tweet that someone wrote for her. But Trump is hammering it. And he's foreshadowing a further public exposure of what exactly Joe and Hunter Biden and Hillary Clinton were doing in Russia and in Ukraine. And to the extent that Ukrainian banks were used as a pass through for money laundering and a place to put money for the global elite. If Vladimir Putin has gotten control of some part of that system, well, he may have a whole lot of ways to hurt these people that the mainstream media is not disclosing. So this is something to keep an eye on. Now, speaking of the sanctions that the U.S. has imposed on Russia. First, let's think about what they are actually doing. Okay. The United States has not declared war on Russia. We are not at war with Russia, not in any sense of the word, but they are continually creating the illusion that we actually are at war with Russia and anything we do that can be justified as an attempt to stop what Russia is doing is actually good for America and good for the world. It's stuff that we should be supporting if we are patriotic citizens. That's how it's being presented to us. But we know what these sanctions are actually doing. They are crippling the Russian economy to hurt the Russian people. This is economic warfare. And Steve Bannon has talked about this a bunch in the last week or so on War Room. But this is preemptive first strike economic warfare on the people of Russia. We are told that Vladimir Putin's special military operation in Ukraine was unjustified and unprovoked. And we are taking the position that our 
actual economic warfare against the people of Russia, the citizens of Russia, is not only justified, but it's Putin's fault. So really, by launching the special military operation in Ukraine, Vladimir Putin is actually responsible for the economic impact on his own people. And you can argue that someone being crippled economically is not as bad as them being killed by a bomb or by a biological or chemical weapon, but it's still destroying lives and people will die. Whether it's through starvation or homelessness or deaths of despair. We saw what happened in this country during COVID when our economy was crippled. We saw spikes in domestic abuse and child abuse and drug and alcohol abuse. We saw overdoses skyrocket. We saw anxiety and depression skyrocket, suicide skyrocket. And we know that lockdowns led to hundreds of millions of people worldwide being pushed into extreme poverty. These people weren't bombed, but their lives were still destroyed by policy. And that is now what the American government is attempting to do to the people of Russia on purpose. And we should understand this as a war of choice by the global communist order in its many forms throughout the governments of the world. To the extent that the fake administration represents America, Americans are being forced to bear moral responsibility for the destruction of countless Russian lives through preemptive first strike economic warfare. And assuming the good twin prevails, and I believe it will, around the world, the history that will be written about what America is doing right now is going to portray us as among the worst national actors in world history. Because what's happening is that we are attacking the citizens of a foreign nation and destroying their lives to protect a system of corruption centered in Ukraine that freely embraces Nazism. And we should all be standing firmly against this. It is clear that Vladimir Putin will complete his goals in Ukraine and that he is forming alliances with incredibly powerful nations around the world. These sanctions are having no impact on what he chooses to do. Therefore, we are senselessly torturing Russian citizens in service of protecting the global order, which is not something that benefits American citizens. And that, my friends, is an awful crime. And now we have this today from the Daily Mail as well. China says it is always opposed to using sanctions to solve problems because they harm people's livelihoods in all countries. In latest sign of growing frustration over the consequences of Putin's war in Ukraine. And you can obviously see the framing already. They are trying to say that China is mad at Putin because the sanctions against Russia are actually hurting everyone. And those sanctions against Russia are Russia's fault, because if Russia didn't do anything, then the sanctions wouldn't be put in place. 
And of course, the article starts out by repeating the way too long headline. It is the Daily Mail after all. So Foreign Minister Wang Yi speaking during a phone call with his Spanish counterpart, Jose Manuel Albares on Tuesday, said that China, quote, must not be affected by the West sanctions because the country, quote, is not party to the crisis. China has always opposed using sanctions to solve problems, let alone unilateral sanctions that have no basis in international law, which will harm people's livelihood in all countries, Wang said. And again, that is key. There is no system of law and government internationally that allows these sanctions. These are countries choosing to create their own sanctions, and they're doing it in concert with one another. And because they continuously talk about EU and NATO and the United Nations, it has the illusion that this is how things go when a country violates those principles. But that's not what's happening here. Almost three weeks after Russian troops marched into Ukraine, Moscow's forces have bombarded and besieged several towns and cities. Fighting has killed thousands and destroyed infrastructure, as well as causing millions to flee the country. Wang's comments were published after a seven-hour meeting between high-ranking U.S. and Chinese officials in Rome, at which Washington said the U.S. had expressed concern about alignment between Russia and China. Moscow and Beijing have drawn closer in recent times in what Washington sees as an increasingly hostile alliance of the authoritarian nuclear powers. Now, that is an odd thing to accuse other countries of authoritarianism when you have a fake president in the White House in America imposing a globalist agenda to control the American people in every aspect of their life. Every possible aspect of authoritarianism is on display in America right now, represented by the evil twin, represented by the fake administration. And it's funny how the Daily Mail gives a nod to Moscow and Beijing drawing closer to one another while in the headline, they just tried to make it seem like China was getting frustrated with what Russia went out and did. Beijing has refused to condemn Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine and abstained from a vote at the United Nations calling out Russian aggression last month. That is much more indicative of what's going on than the headline they started with. The communist state has walked a diplomatic tightrope since the start of the war on February 24th, in order to preserve vital trade links with Russia, which is now facing serious economic woes, having been targeted by sanctions. In the Rome meeting on Monday with U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, China's senior diplomat Yang Jiqi reiterated China's stance that Beijing is, quote, committed to promoting peace talks. The official Xinhua news agency reported on Tuesday. Got that? It's an official news agency. China called on all parties to exercise maximum restraint and protect civilians in the Ukraine crisis at the meeting. The international community should support such talks to achieve substantive results as soon as possible, Yang said. Washington hopes Beijing can use its influence on Putin. 
Although Beijing does not back Western sanctions, the White House is pressuring the world's second largest economy to refrain from recusing Russia from potential default or sending weaponry. U.S. intelligence reports published Sunday claimed Moscow had requested military equipment from Beijing after Russian forces started, quote, running out of weapons during their sluggish invasion of Ukraine. Got that? U.S. intelligence reported that. So we're going to take it as true, even though Russia has not retreated in any way. Putin has not bent in his negotiations in any way. And there's no indication whatsoever that any of this will stop until his goals are accomplished. China on Monday accused Washington of spreading disinformation over Beijing's role in the Ukraine war without directly addressing U.S. media reports of a Russian request for help. Beijing has struggled to maintain a facade of neutrality and has repeatedly blamed the United States and NATO's eastward expansion for worsening tensions. That is not Beijing struggling to maintain a facade of neutrality. That is Beijing not being neutral. I don't know why this is always, it always has to be spun, but this is such silly spin. Beijing is literally on Russia's side in this, and that is clear beyond all doubt. There is this idea that somehow the U.S. has leverage with China, but that's just a pretense. It's an idea. It's the way things were in the past, so we assume they're that way now. But the U.S. is being represented by a fake president who China and Russia have completely compromised. He doesn't have leverage with either of them, which is why the U.S. has done nothing to deter Vladimir Putin at any point. All the U.S. is able to do is prolong the media's story about Ukraine, and they're doing that by having mercenaries who are funded and armed and trained, including the Azov Nazi battalion and right sector and the rest of the Nazi force in Ukraine. So we got Nazis and mercenaries slaughtering Ukrainian citizens and probably slaughtering some Russians in the meantime. But that's the involvement. That's the only thing that the U.S. has done. The sanctions are destroying Russia's economy for its people, perhaps. But Russia is already moving away from their financial and economic dependence on the West. And they're doing so undeterred. They knew that all of this stuff was going to happen. They knew what the U.S. would consider sanctioning, and they have been trying to fortify so that the sanctions would not hurt them as much. They have already formed new economic alliances and trade alliances. It was announced yesterday that India was going to begin importing Russian oil. And there are reports today about how Saudi Arabia is going to accept payment for oil in the yuan. What's happening is that the West and the global communists are destroying the world's reliance on the American dollar, which is going to cripple the American economy unless there is another option quickly put in place. Now, we know what the evil twins option is. They want the global digital currency, the central bank currency that they can track and control, and they want to exert enough power so that the rest of the world has to come under that system as well, as it did with the American dollar and the petrodollar, etc. 
And it seems that Russia is prepared to go through that time now and deal with those problems now because they see a path to the other side, it seems to me. But China and India and now Saudi Arabia and obviously Brazil and South Africa, they're already forming a new alliance so that Russia does not have to depend on the West for everything. And it seems like the West has no choice but to deal with that. There is no leverage that can be exerted at this point. And that may be why all the various mouthpieces of the globalist order continue to suggest all these various events that will absolutely be false flags, but that they are trying to give us the preview of. They're giving us the narrative preview. There's going to be a nuclear attack. There's going to be a chemical attack, a biological attack. And once Russia does that, well, then the U.S. is going to go in and make an actual war. Then we're going to go in and show them who's boss, except it's not going to be Russia doing it. And they're not going to go in and show them who's boss because we will all be paying attention and those narratives will get ruined the same way all of the rest of their narratives get ruined. It happens faster and faster now than it ever has before. I mean, consider three weeks ago, we didn't know about bioweapons labs in Ukraine. It wasn't something that a lot of people had looked into and researched. And now there is a huge depth of knowledge on that stuff. So big that it is breaking into the mainstream. The global propaganda is failing once again, and it's failing spectacularly. Back to the article. It is a view that reverberates across state newspapers and television, as well as social media in China's tightly controlled news environment. So you got that? China controls all the media there, including the social media. And to some extent, that is true. But... Could you also say that about the U.S.? The answer is absolutely yes. All of the media is controlled by the same six corporations. We get the same story driving right down the central narrative, little variations here and there. Some people like the scenic view on the right. Some people like the scenic view on the left. But we're all going the same direction on basically the same road. And we all know how tightly controlled The social media is in America. Consider how often we're banned and censored and fact-checked by the same organizations at the top that control the media. Everything they're saying about the Chinese media environment is true here. When Putin announced an assault on Ukraine on February 24th, China's official Xinhua news agency maintained it was a military operation and Moscow had no intent of occupying Ukrainian territory. Days later, state broadcaster CCTV echoed a false Russian claim that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky had left Kyiv, a story quickly repeated by other domestic outlets. And there are stories that Zelensky has left Kyiv and retreated to Poland. That has come up in a lot of different places. I don't know it's true, and I'm not going to say it's true. I'm not even going to say it's likely. I am going to say it's possible. And when they mention it and say that it's not true, that makes me think it's worth looking at because that actually would be an important story while painting Volodymyr Zelensky as the heroic comedic actor. If he has 
left the country to seek shelter in another country. That's kind of a big deal. Kind of goes against his whole heroic thing. Like he's out there with his own gun, with his 10,000 citizens he's armed. So heroic. And some Chinese reports also state that there has been a surge of neo-Nazi ideology among the Ukrainian army and people, a claim supported by Putin. It is also a claim supported by the most left-wing news outlets around the world. It is also a claim that is supported by the facts on the ground and the history. But it's presented as something that only Chinese state television will say or Russian state television will say. And think about what we have been talking about the last two days. They are stating true things and then stating the fact that the media of the bad guy is saying them. And so because state media in Russia, as they, you know, describe it and state media in China, as they describe it, well, they're saying that same thing. And because they're the bad guys and this is their state media, you should assume it's not true. We're not saying it's not true. We're just saying that really bad people think it is true. And so you don't want to be a really bad person, do you? You don't want to be one of those QAnons that agrees with Russia and China and Brazil and India and anti-vaxxers and Trump supporters and the facts on the ground, do you? (laughs) That's crazy. You're a traitor. Now, this is a long article, but it's interesting because they continually try to reframe everything. A directive to a state-affiliated outlet, once again, state media, circulating online last month, appeared to instruct that posts unfavorable to Russia or containing pro-Western content should not be published. Now, again, that is exactly what they are doing in America to Russian news outlets and anyone on social media who is not standing with the Nazis in Ukraine. State media reports on Ukraine avoid terms like invasion, instead describing the situation as conflict or fighting. And again, is this an invasion? We are continually told that Putin wants to take over and recapture all of Ukraine. That's not true. We keep being told he's about to sack Kiev. They started that three weeks ago. Still hasn't happened. And they keep saying it's because Vladimir Putin's army has been thwarted, but there's no factual basis for believing that. This is not a struggle to find the right message. A China analyst at the Polish Institute of International Affairs told AFP, which is a French news service. China purposely uses very vague language, she added, noting that this was to reduce diplomatic risks in its relations with Western countries. Officials, too, have rebuffed the term invasion when questioned by foreign journalists, accusing them of biased reporting, while giving the contradictory statements that China respects every country's sovereignty but won't take sides. A fierce condemnation of war at the opening of the Winter Paralympic Games in Beijing was not translated on Chinese TV. Meanwhile, Britain's junior foreign officer, Minister James Cleverly, on Tuesday warned that Beijing should not support Russia over the invasion. We continue to call upon China and indeed all countries to cease any support they may have to Russia, Cleverly told the BBC. We want to build as broad a coalition of opposition to Russia as possible. So, of course, we will have those conversations with the Chinese. 
India on Monday became the latest country to hand Russia a sanction-busting lifeline after the government indicated it may accept Moscow's offer to buy oil and other commodities at a discount price. Russia is offering oil and other commodities at a heavy discount. We will be happy to take that, an Indian government official said, declining to elaborate on how much oil was on offer and what the discount was. The official added that such trade required preparatory work, including transportation, insurance cover, and getting the right blend of crude. But once that was done, India would take Russia up on its offer. India, which imports 80% of its oil needs, usually buys only about 1% from Russia. But with oil prices up 40% so far this year, the government is looking at increasing this if it can help reduce its rising energy bill. New Delhi, which has refused to condemn the Ukraine war, follows Beijing, which last month lifted restrictions on wheat imports from Russia. Imports had been restricted amid concerns over Russia's measures to prevent plant diseases, particularly in agricultural crops. And that is a very strange way to end an article, but it's also kind of a strange way to frame the trade relationship regarding wheat between Russia and China. It sounds less like a legitimate problem and more like they are trying to market against Russia's wheat. It kind of makes you think about what happens when boycotts backfire, like you boycott something and it becomes a public issue, the whole boycott, but you don't actually have majority support even among the customers of that product or brand. So everybody else consumes more of that product and brand because they want to support the product or company or country that is being unfairly boycotted and sanctioned in this case. It's kind of like what happened with Mike Lindell. He gets kicked out of all those box stores, My Pillow does, and everybody who wants to support Mike Lindell buys My Pillow products. It's the same thing that will happen if Donald Trump actually goes on Joe Rogan's podcast. And there were some reports. Pamela Geller had a report out last week that Trump was actually scheduled to go on Rogan's podcast. If Spotify were to take down that episode, Joe Rogan might then hopefully leave Spotify and go to another platform. And if he goes to Rumble, for instance, all of his fans would follow him to Rumble. They wouldn't stay on Spotify. They would actually get mad at Spotify. So when the United States unfairly attacks Russian citizens sanctioning Russia over what's happening in Ukraine, if Russia has these other relationships with big, rich, powerful countries, well, they don't need the support of the West. They can just reroute their economy and there's going to be some pain involved in that. But they would come out the other side having a more powerful position and relieving themselves of the forced control of Western nations and the global communist order. And with how we've seen things develop in the 419 full days since the fake administration began pretending to govern the United States, few things could be less surprising than the United States evil twin in consort with the evil twin represented in all of these ally nations doing something that not only doesn't work, but backfires on them completely. 
exposing their actual motivations and their actual criminality and harming the citizens of their countries and the world in the process. That's where we are in reality. And outside of the influence of the global communist state media, all of that is becoming exceedingly easy to see. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!